Radio. Welcome to another edition of 33.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry, and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. Very tired. Very... I don't even know. what's. I was, I was trying to think of another word for tired. I think tired is the only word. Is there another word? I, I exhausted, but I'm not exhausted. Fatigued. I think fatigued is a good one. I like fatigued. I'm fatigued. And also joining us on the program is one half of the NXT Tag Team Champions, Matty Key. Hello, Matty. What up? OG Champ. NXT Tag Team Champions. Yeah. These titles are sick, though, eh? Like, the, the nice gold, they're simple. Like, I was a fan of the simple titles back in the day, like the OG Intercontinental title, the OG World title. I feel like sometimes they get, like, too crazy now and too detailed. And I think sometimes less is more. And I really like these NXT tag belts, to be honest. Yeah, so in case you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about, Maddie currently has like the OG NXT tag team belt on his shoulder. And of all of us who are on this program, I didn't think that Maddie would be the one, uh, the belt mark out of the three of us. But here we are, you know? Well, I have who do you think has the other half? half? Yeah, exactly. So he does. But. <laughs> the cool thing about it is that one half is shaded on each title. So tech, you're supposed to put them together, right? Like that was yeah. the point. So if, like, Matt, if you hold it up to the camera so Dustin can see, I don't know if he'll remember. But you see, back up a little bit. This is terrible radio. But one half is shaded black and the other half is gold. On my title, the shaded black is reversed because it's supposed to be two halves of the same hole. I got you. That's, That's kind of fun neat. idea. Uh, speaking of championship, uh, I always like, I feel like Vince McMahon has drilled it into my brain to call them titles, but they're fucking belts. Um, have you seen the championship belts? That came out today on WWE's shop page. I did the NFL. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to probably cop a New York Jets one. They look horrendous. I know they're You're terrible. Actually one? <laughs> no. Wait. What? Wait. What's this? What so happened? So they entered in a licensing partnership. So WWE will produce replica championship titles belts, if you were, and they're with the NFL logos and designs. The only problem is they look like shit. Uh, I mean, yeah, but they're not like, okay, they could look a lot worse. I'm just looking at them now. They could look a lot worse. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> they could look worse, but, um, the funny one, actually, you know what? I don't even see it anymore. Maybe I just skipped over it and I'm crazy. I'm on their website right now. And the Ravens ones look nice. looks nice. But that's like the, that's a coloration thing. Not like a, so does the Cowboys. Thing. But if you're, the, yeah, if you're you know what? the vikings actually they're missing one who well guess who would be missing is it the jets no the jets no think think more in the wrestling bubble the raiders in the wrestling bubble yes because it was so it was something that brad sent me this morning and he's like why on earth would wwe be making a jacksonville jaguars championship belt but that was before he like understood this whole thing and then i looked it up like oh yeah they did this for every team in the nfl and now i'm looking at it the jags are gone it shows only 31 nfl teams yeah (laughs) that's the most like so it was released like i saw a picture of it this morning of the jacksonville version and now that i'm on now maybe it's possible the jacksonville one sold out (laughs) or i'm not hard to believe or you can probably still get it, just not through WWE. 
No, no, no. But these are these are like it's by so it's through fanatics and WWE. Like you, you shouldn't be able to get it anywhere else. No, but I'm saying like maybe they're like go to fanatics, go to the NFL shop, but you're not getting it on WWE.com. No, no I'm on fanatics is not there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. Relax. <laughs> this this that's hilarious. But the, it, no, it, the, the Vikings one's nice. The purple and gold always nice, and the the Jets ones is nice too. I, you know what? They're not as bad as I as the Raiders one looks cool. They're not that bad. No, they're not. They're not nearly as bad as what was being portrayed. The Rams one is nice just because it's like you have the Rams instead of the helmet that a lot of the other ones have. I think the dirt worse is the Chargers. The Chargers is pretty bad. Yeah, it's just because the background of the Chargers logo is the same color as the strap. Yeah. So it doesn't look like there's anything there in the middle other than just like a shitty lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah, there's no there offset, right? The Steelers looks like a classic title colorway, so it works. There's a few, you know, and like the Bengals does. Uh, yeah. Steelers yeah, looks great. The same thing about the, the Saints as well, where I think the yeah. Saints looks cool because it looks like a championship belt. The Cowboys looks like the women's title. What? Which one? The Cowboys kind of looks like a women's title. <laughs> so does the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, I wish they did the Jets on the on the black. I don't know if I like the KC on the red. The, I, or, I for that the, I think just to just to make it a little different, they probably should have gone gold with that, like the yellow, and then had it like the yellow background with in red and stuff. Like I think that would be like cool. The Browns with the orange. Yeah. And their stupid logo of the football helmet. So like. So speaking of NFL football, I believe next week we'll be doing our. Uh, deep dive into the NFL schedule preview that we did last year and that everyone seemed to enjoy so much. However, for this week, we're going to be talking about Austin Matthews, Simon Benoit, the Schneiders, Trey Lance, John Herdman, and a whole lot of wrestling stuff happened this week between Terry Funk, Bray Wyatt, and CM Punk. All of that and a whole lot more coming up on this week's episode of 43.6, which of course is brought to you by Now Your Treasures, which we'll talk a bit more about later. But first, we do want to talk about what's been going on in our lives. And James, I feel like you've had a lot going on in the past week since the last time we had an episode to discuss. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, dude, uh, I guess that's why we recorded a little bit early last week. I had a work trip to Rhode Island, which first time I've ever been there. Let me tell you, sir. So initially, they they wanted to fly me into Providence via like a, a flight through Washington and then an hour layover and then into Providence. Yeah. And then on the way to Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. But what happened was I was like, that is a five hour trip for what really should be an hour and 40 minute flight. So I flew out of Billy Bishop instead. I landed in Boston. First time I've ever been to Boston. And on my way to the train station to take the train into Providence, my Lyft driver was mysteriously and magically a New York Jets fan. So we, which is weird in Boston, right? So him and I were were chatting Jets on the way, but this man's got lost uh, on the way to the train station and kept going north and south on the highway, trying to figure out how to get to the train station. And in essence, we kept looping around TD Garden. So I just kept giving the finger to T- to TD Garden and sending pictures to my my uh, U.S. teammates that I was I was doing as such. But then I got into Providence and I and le- do okay. Let me tell you, WalMarts in the United States are not the same as WalMarts here. 
worse like in terms of the the individuals that frequent it or like the in in all scope like walmart's here are more like targets in the u.s walmart's in the u.s are more like gary's discount free for all like it's just like i was there at about 8 15 at night i'm just, i was grabbed my coke zero stood out on the uh the front waiting for a lift and like every dude that walked in was in a wife beater and flip-flops and hawaiian shorts like every dude and i'm and they were all of very threatening looking ilk <laughs> and i was like i'm standing here with my luggage i definitely look like hans the traveler like there's no they know I'm like they know I'm like a tourist or traveling. I got luggage. I'm like these guys are definitely gonna rob me for sure. But uh, made it into the lift safely and enjoyed a couple days in Providence, and then spent the entire weekend working Fan Expo, which was wild. So here's the thing: what is it about people going into Walmart and not looking like a normal functioning part of society? What I do don't mean? know. It's something to do like the and I even told like some of my teammates the like about my experience. They were like, "There's something." Like the memes are real. Like I, like the whole Walmart, everything you see on social media. Like you know, traditionally we say don't believe everything you see on social media. It's not the truth. It's fat presented, framed, whatever. Nah, everything you see and read or watch about Walmart on social media in the is a hundred percent the god gospel truth there it ass cracks holes everywhere nobody knows how to comb a hair or take a get a haircut uh there's armpit hair male and female everywhere it's just it's unreal that's the thing i'm just like there's never a time where i look that disheveled like even if i just rolled out of bed immediately and threw on pajamas and walked out i'd still look more presentable than these people Dude, it looks like the first thing they did after losing a home was immediately roll into a Walmart. Like that's it's like I'm homeless, now I live here. Like that's that's what it was like. It was just and I'm not trying to be pejorative to these people in the sense of like but like then change my change my perception, right? Like that's if if 9 out of the 10 people in Walmart, you know, look like uh uh, I don't even know. It's just, it's, it's so, it's, it, it, <laughs> somebody said back in the day to my brother, it looks unfortunate, uh, <laughs> all of this. So it, it was a tough go, but I made it out alive. And then Fan Expo was just, yeah. So you and both Maddie were at Fan Expo this week, weekend, I should say. Him as a customer, yeah, me as an employee. And so, the last time I was at <laughs> at the Metro Tor- Toronto Convention Center was for a work-related convention that had, I mean, nothing to do with Fan Expo. So it was just me and, like, other employees of the company. And that was a very different experience than Fan Expo because I feel like I was very freely able to walk between booth and booth and booth, and no one was in my way, and I could just wander around. I could do entire lap around hall a b and c in a matter of you know five minutes because this is a massive hall whereas i feel like at least based on the tiktoks that i saw this weekend 
you were constantly shoulder to shoulder with another um, fan, we'll say. Friday and Saturday, yes. Thursday and Sunday, not that bad. Like, that's the thing is, is if you're planning on going and you've never gone and you're sitting there being like, hey, I want to try this out. Do not go on a Saturday because unless you plan on going from open till 12. So for the first two hours, uh, I don't suggest it. Just like I left Saturday at like 130. I was like, I'm not doing this because you can't move. It's impossible. And the food court is stupid. There's nowhere to sit. So everyone's just like sitting on the floor and doing all that shit. Um, <clears throat> but the Thursday is nice. The Thursday is chill. Like you can get in there. You can walk unimpeded. No one's really in your way. You can stop and, you know, check out all the shit and do all the stuff you want. Sunday's nice because you can like haggle and deal. So like you could walk up to a guy and be like, hey, he's got something listed for 50 bucks. You're like, yo, I'll give you like 30. And he's like, all right, cool. Because they don't want to carry it back. Right. So um, there's a lot of that. Like my buddy, <clears throat> friend of the show, listens a lot. Brendan, I've referenced him a lot. He last year went down and wanted to buy the witcher swords from the game like fully full tang full sharpen usable swords from the witcher and he didn't do it and he's regretted it for a year like the day after fan expo ended he's i should have bought those fucking swords and then every every so often it comes up because we both watch the show and he said i should have bought the fucking swords so this year he went down and we were at the stall and the guy was like both of the swords from the game for 400 and he was like i also have the one directly from the show with the gems and the filigree and everything on it he's like i also have this one too so he said hey you know i'll do all three for 500 that's what my friend said to him the guy's like i don't know he said you know i can do you know 600 because he's like you're getting three each individually or typically like you know 300 and he's like i'm cutting a big deal on these kind of thing or he's like all right you know but he's haggled for a bit and then he finally got all three for the 500 it was a good price it was a good you know pickup but that's the thing is you go down there and haggle like anybody who isn't willing to just at least be like hey five bucks off you're doing it wrong honestly unless it's something you really want that's rare and you just don't want to deal with it and you just want to make sure you get it cool but other things if you don't Outside of Artist Alley, I mean, if you're not haggling, you're doing it wrong. Squishmallows was the thing, though. Everyone was oh, all yeah. over Squishmallows. They had a booth, and it was uh, like they, the employees got attacked, <laughs> like being because it's just people are crazy for those. Do you, have you? Do you have any? Do you own any? I've seen some in stores. I was very tempted when I saw, I think it was a Pikachu Squishmallow in a Canadian Tire store. And I was like, ooh, I should get this. You should have because they're, the Pokemon ones get pretty rare. But I don't need these things. <laughs> like I just, Until another you lie thing on one. Find, dude, they are so comfortable to like hold and lay on on the couch or some shit. I'm going to get you one. I don't, I don't want to fall down this rabbit hole, you know? Like there's When's so many birthday? times where, don't worry about that. All I'm saying is it's I feel like you're an October guy, if I remember. I'm going to get yeah, you. Yeah, he's uh, an October guy. You're, 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 you're incorrect. Anyways, I feel like there's a lot of things like that where, like, perfect example is what we were talking about at the top of the show with these championship belts. Like, if yeah. I get one, I feel like it's a slippery slope. And then all of a sudden, I'm that, all of a sudden, I'm Al Ruddock, you know? And the guy has, <laughs> you know, there's a reference. 25, 
yeah, all of a sudden that guy has like every single championship belt you can think of. And um, I don't want to do that because I'd rather do other things with my money. You know, it's just there's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not like trying to criticize anybody. Or no, anything. No, no. I'm just saying it's when just, we were younger and the slope I'm going to fall down. Yeah. When we were younger, I think we would go prepared to, to purchase a lot more. I mean, we're different people now than we were a decade ago. I, I, I don't have the space for it. Um, other responsibilities and you just like I find it more difficult to pull the trigger on those things because the thought like you said the thought goes into your head do I really need this right you know there's thing I found more enjoyment in little things like my brother got me an earthbound keychain it looks like a SNES cartridge it's kind of cool that's cool right uh, do I do I need a, a silver Game Boy Advance to make sure I have it in my collection not right now you know, <laughs> there'll be time or, or space for that down the road. But uh, did see a lot of friends from the past. Again, now your treasures booth was awesome, dude. Those prints, man. They, oh. He had a whole set of Legend of Zelda, and like from so it's it's like a so like the prints that he has are very um, artisan or like artsy takes on things. So he had a whole set of like each nintendo system with the zelda that represented it so and so it like had a picture of the controller like and it was like an art style like if you can look it up they're they're amazing those were awesome uh he had some like iron man and captain america ones were all like they're just he had a print that was on aluminum like a, an aluminum slab which was amazing so again if i know we'll throw to it later but that that booth was awesome and there was a lot of cool shit so uh, I might X-Men be making a, still a purchase. Sorry? Those X-Men ones still get me. And, dude, he's an honest guy, too. Like, he flat out said, you know, some of these need to be professionally framed, and it's going to cost you X amount of dollars. Or, you know, you can put them in an Ikea frame, but, you know, don't do Ikea frame and professional frame because one will make one look stupid, right? Like, if you're going to Ikea frame something, then Ikea frame everything so that it all looks consistent. And, it, like, not that it looks bad. It's just... You can't you can't overshadow your your prints with something that looks incredible and the rest look like like not the best, right? So, it was it was a cool chat and definitely a lot to learn in the print world, man. Like print print is its own industry and I was so I felt so cool to be educated on it and there's so many cool ones there. Like the movie poster ones, there's a back to the future one. Oh. Yeah. Great. There it's a lot of like gorgeous work and like some rare items and shit that you wouldn't typically see like things you of the fandom that you would be part of that you know you may find a movie poster of um you know return of the jedi of the original poster cool great it's a poster it's a reprint of it it's on like the glossy typical poster paper but this is almost like a canvas print but done in a way where it almost looks hand-drawn or like hand-painted it's unreal and it's cool because he had versions of it with the Japanese writing on it, which is even more rare. Um, and we made a joke to him, both Jim and me, when we were there and said, if he could ever get his hands of, on a Revenge of the Jedi print or poster, he'd be laughing. And he said he's only ever seen one, I think, live in person and one available to buy online. He's never seen it anywhere else. So yeah, there's definitely a, a world of difference between prints and posters. So if you do, yeah. and I know we'll talk about it. Go check them out; they're cool. What'd you do? Uh, actually, I, well, I went to the X on Friday, 
And the reason I went to the X was I was working the Argos game, actually. So I just happened to be there. So I figured I would uh, skip out of work, skip out of the daytime job a little early on Friday and went down to the X to just walk around the grounds for a bit before I had to actually start my shift. And actually mentioning Prince, I went down like the craft area in the X and I saw something that kind of inspired me of something I want, if that makes sense. Like I saw a Prince, I'm like, oh, oh, that would be cool. And the thing I saw was essentially the Joker sitting at a poker table. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. But what I would like, and all of this exists, so if there's any artists out there who uh, are, can legally um, <laughs> create a Joker print without getting sued, what would be really cool, you know that scene from The Dark Knight where Joker walks in and like does the magic trick and like makes the fucking uh, pencil disappear on the guy's face? Mm. It, it could be like a poker table-like painting, but instead of it being whatever the fuck all these ones are, it's actual Heath Ledger, Ledger Joker sitting around all those gangsters around that table. Hmm. And like you know what's gonna happen if you've seen the movie, but like it so it's kind of a play on that typical poker or uh print or, or what about that yeah. scene where he's sitting across from Batman and just put cards in their hand? Like that'd be kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, that's just something I thought would be pretty cool. But yeah, I went to the X on Friday. I didn't eat anything too uh crazy because I had to work later and I figured I didn't want to uh poop up a storm right before I had to go to actually work. But there was some food items I was definitely looking at. Man, that like massive deep fried cheese thing just looks so damn cool. I, I definitely want to try that. I may like have to go back wheel, at some point. This an week. entire cheese wheel that's deep fried. <laughs> you imagine? I mean, it must be like it is a huge piece of cheese. It's like a massive triangle cheese, and it's a Dorito coating. It looks incredible. I can't wait to go back and try that. I'm gonna make sure I get back to the X at some point this week because I didn't really get a chance to really enjoy it. What did also um, happen? during while i was there <laughs> um you know impact wrestling was doing some shows there do you see this you hear about this yeah i heard they were doing like i don't know if they did like an entire show did they or they just do some matches they did a couple matches i shouldn't say a full show but i just walked by as they're setting up and i saw rip impact without you know, said hello and whatever but um it was just like the weirdest experience of like their like quote-unquote show was supposed to start at six o'clock and my shift starts at six o'clock, so I didn't see it. But as I was standing like in the concourse of BMO Field, I can hear off in the background like their PA system. So I can hear Iceman like hyping up the crowd. I'm like, this is so weird. <laughs> like, this is like a weird worlds colliding moment, right? I was gonna say, and- like, worlds colliding, if only because, and I, this is not gonna get taken the way I want it to be taken, it's only gonna be taken the way it's gonna sound is that impact as the number four company, I guess, behind the fed AEW and and new Japan, I guess. Right. Like that. They probably land somewhere around there. Yeah. I'd say probably fair. I feel that you said the word I was thinking about for them to do like a fair show is just kind of odd to me. Right. Like coming from the world that we come from, like the fair shows are, definitely a thing right and i know this is more upscaled right it just i don't know it feels a little bit weird to me but that's just i don't know i get it they were having a show on the weekend it's a great way to kind of 
get a general crowd to dip their toes in and maybe come out but maybe it's just having a history doing fair shows i'm like is this really the wheelhouse i don't know yeah, I don't think I would have done it. If, like, um, it seemed kind of carny to me. But yeah, no, okay, not. you can say okay. Uh, I you said it. <laughs> I was thinking it. You said it. Yeah, it's it's also because earlier in the week it was like CCW is here and we're doing carny fucking wrestling shows. I'm pretty sure in the exact same spot they just ripped down their ring and put up the Impact ring. I'm like, okay, this is. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this is a good look, honestly. And yeah, I guess you that should, was kind you, of. You should have seen it, like. There's no entranceway. It was just a ring set up in the middle of this, like... Oh, I know the, what that looks like. I've watched yeah. a guy. We, <laughs> what were you there when we did that fair out way out, like, east somewhere? I forget. And I, the guys had to walk this... Each entrance was probably six minutes long because they had to walk from the change room, which was way down there, and they had to walk, like, around... Uh, a hay bale horse track kind of thing and <laughs> it took for wasn't there but hilariously there was hay bales at this uh setup as well there you go so that's so that's what we're talking about um Very anyways, not how i would have done things but no hey, what the hell i'm not i'm not running things at impact wrestling what the hell do i care but i uh, yeah so this found out kind of funny and um i did also go to brad's uh, stag and doe this weekend and let me tell you something guys okay L- let me tell you something this is my fault. This is 100% my fault. I didn't ask for enough details, guys. You know, when I when I saw the the invitation and all of the, the things it included, how there was a cash bar and whatever, there was no mention of food, okay? So I'm assuming, okay, and it starts at 5 o'clock. So the fucking invitation says at 5 o'clock, and there's no mention of food. So I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a quick in and out thing. I'm going to be like... I'm going to go, I'm going to do like spend some money and I'm going to be gone by like seven, eight o'clock and then go grab dinner on my way home and I'll watch a movie at that, that night. Uh, then I find out that I'm the first person to show up at five o'clock. <laughs> no one else showed up till like six thirty, seven o'clock and the whole thing went to like 1130. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so you're that you're that nerd that shows up like the first and <laughs> that's the worst, dude. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care how polite it is. I'm a, I'm a fan of being on time, but there's some things you just can't be first to. Weddings, uh, stag and does, funerals. Yeah, funerals. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be first to a funeral. Yeah, you do, definitely. Because that yeah. means you're dead. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I don't. I wanted to go, but I had to work fan expo. And I gotta shoot that guy some cash so he can. I want to donate to his, to his cause. You know, but how'd it go? Good. You win anything? Yeah, I want a drill set thing. Nice. Uh, which, which I intended to just give to my father anyways, and he was very happy with it. So that's great. That worked out well. Why do you um, hold out for Father's Day? Uh when is Father's Day? That's like yeah. a year from now, dude. Bank it. No, you're, no, that's, that's called that's called prep. <laughs> that's called being prepared. I mean, you're not wrong. Or it's Christmas. Just, I, I gotta say Christmas or something. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know what? His birthday is actually coming up soon. So. <laughs> there you go. Probably should have saved. Right, it. You're right. Right in the card. You're welcome for the drill, the drill set. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Any event. Um, also, last night was eight. Well, I shouldn't say last night. Last night for me, but. Uh, for most people, yesterday afternoon was AEW all 
in. I have to think about it every time I say it. And if you're not familiar, this is uh, AEW's uh, Wembley Stadium show, which, uh, according to them, and I believe it, they had 81,000 people paid in that building, which is the highest paid professional wrestling crowd in the history of professional wrestling. Now, it's also, it's, I hate that we're in this world because Vince McMahon has like just fucked with the numbers his entire life. So 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania three, like who the fuck knows what the actual number was. Like if you if you believe uncle Dave, it's probably 70 something, but the problem is there's no legitimate source of this information. So who the fuck knows? But fortunately, uh, AEW so far in their uh, four-year history of the company, they have been very open about these numbers. They, they even though they're not a publicly traded company, pay-per-view like, buys will, everything. Yeah, they're very transparent with that stuff, and that's the way it probably should be, uh, especially for a tra- like, especially for a publicly traded company like WWE. But we never get those numbers, which is very strange. But whatever. The point is, um, I enjoyed the show. James, I know you said you only watched a bit of it. And the reason why I enjoyed it was because I didn't watch it live. And I tuned in at like 8 o'clock at night. Fast forward. And I watched only the things I thought would be interesting. So there was, if you count the dark matches, so the two matches that aired on the YouTube channel leading to the event. Zero Hour, they called it. I watched the first match on Zero Hour because that was MGF and Adam Cole winning the Ring of Honor tag titles. Then I watched the first match on the actual pay-per-view. That was Samoa Joe versus CM Punk for the Real World Championship. Then I watched a bit of the six-man between Bullet Club Gold and uh, Golden Elite and My Christ, Abushi's horrendous. Um, I watched, begrudgingly watched the tag title match. Um, because FDR is in it, and I like FDR. If it was any other tag team in the world against the Young Bucks, I would have skipped that match for sure. Um, I definitely did not want to lose any brain cells, so I did not watch the Stadium Stampede match. I watched the entrances for the girls' matches, but that was it. Or the girls' matches, I should say. Which did draw some criticism from some people at the press conference. That was, how come we did a... Or we... How come you uh, AEW did an 11-match card, and there was one girls' match on it? Which, I mean... We can dive down in that conversation another day, I think. But I also skipped... Uh, actually, I watched the entrances for Darby Allen and Sting against whoever the fuck they wrestled. Chris, Christian Case and Swerve. Uh, I 100% skipped through uh, the Fozzie performance and Chris Jericho's match. I did not give a flying fuck about that. I skipped right through Billy Gunn and the acclaimed against the House of Black. And then I watched MGF versus Adam Cole. So I watched probably in totality like... Three and a half matches, maybe four matches, and I had forty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes total. Right, I was I was in and out, maybe an hour. All in, all out. Um, Had I had to sit through John Moxley jamming fucking wooden spikes into his head for some reason, I I would have turned it off, and I would not have gotten halfway through that show. I'm I'm generally curious, who is the audience for that? Brad, like who's who is the person who's like yeah. I want to see these idiots cut each other and like, like literally, Maddie, you're probably not going to believe me when I say this, literally jabbing wooden spikes Skewers. into their heads Skewers. Skewers. to a point where it sticks out of their head. It stands there like they got skewers sticking out of their head. Who the fuck is watching this? Why is this entertaining? 
I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> he's speechless. He's like, I don't even know what to say. Oh, he's muted. Honestly, I just. At what point are, is it just? I don't know. I just think it's dumb. Like, there's certain things you're like, yeah, okay, I I get it, but that that's just whatever. <laughs> I find it weird that I I enjoyed ECW back in the day. And I feel like that had an an okay level of stuff. And back then, they were like, it's hardcore. Against some of the shit that happens now, ECW was tame as fuck. Like, the yeah. mass transit incident is actually probably tame compared to some of the stuff that happens now, right? Like, I and then well, when ECW went uh, the way of the Dodo, I briefly watched XPW. And even that, compared to some of the shit that happens now, is... You know, you look at some of this, even like the backyard stuff, like these tournament of death or whatever they do in in fields because no building will hold these people with any amount of insurance. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's too much. Like, dude, we live in an era where hand sanitizer is everywhere and these people are just pouring buckets of blood everywhere. Like, I just, bodily fluids like that is is it's very odd to me. I don't know. Freaks me out. Yeah, I, it's not. It's just, I don't know. It's not for me. I guess that's the, all I can really say. But, of course, as we, I don't know if we want to get into this now, the whole CM Punk thing. We might as well. We're here. We're on the topic of it. Um, so, uh, the story goes. And that's the thing about professional wrestling. It's such a nightmare to try to cover because who knows what the fuck is actually going on here. But the story goes that Jungle Boy Jack Perry a couple weeks ago. He buried that, remember? Sure. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, Jungle Boy Jack Perry supposedly wanted to do something with glass. And I don't know if it was specifically even CM Punk that said it. Or I shouldn't say, um, I don't know if it was only exclusively CM Punk that said it to him. Because remember a few weeks ago, maybe a month, a couple months ago now, I guess it is now. Um, there was that list of stuff that came out where these things are no longer going to be allowed unless you have like a producer's approval. And that had to be one of them. I, I don't, I, I'm sure I can find the list, but I'm, I'm almost certain that the use of glass was one of them that you need approval to do. So... And again, as the story goes, I could be getting some of this wrong. That Jack Perry wanted to do something like that with glass on an episode of ramp or an episode of collision. And the producer said no. And at some point, CM Punk said to him, we don't do that here. You save that shit for dynamite. Alluding the fact that like collision is supposed to be like an actual wrestling show and dynamites where all the children do their stupid stuff, right? And he wasn't allowed to do it. They did something else or whatever the fuck. And then during this pre-show match, a fucking pre-show match where FTW rules, whatever the hell that means, um, they did a glass spot. Now, I didn't even know because I didn't watch this match because who the fuck's going to watch this match? But hey, they did a pre-show match where they broke um, the glass of a windshield of a car. And like then Jungle Boy goes to the camera and says something to the effect of like, yeah. oh, it's real glass. Cry me Cry over. about it. Or Cry whatever. Yeah. Like what a what a little bitch. Like that's just the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. 
And especially when he gets up and says it. And you can see, like, his arm bleeding from the glass. It's like, this is what they're protecting you from, motherfucker. Like, do you not get it? It's, it's He sounds like a petulant child. That, like, they he didn't get do. what he wants. They it's all so do. hilarious. Like, anyways, whatever. So, he goes out and he does that. And I don't know, like, what triggered what, but supposedly shortly after that. Because the, the report is it happened just before punk's match and punk was the first match on the card and jack perry was the last match of the pre-show so at some point they crossed paths and there was a scuffle and allegedly cm punk choked him out (laughs) (laughs) so like here's what's so again like we don't know how the fight started but tony khan is like at the press conference confirmed there was an incident and uh, Brian Alvarez is suggesting that both men have been suspended until like the result of the investigation. So we know there was a scuffle. The reports were that Punk choked him out, which is so fucking hilarious to me because that is like the definition of fuck around, find out, right? Like you think you're some tough motherfucker. And listen, I know CM Punk got fucked up when he went to UFC, but he still got in there. Well, that's you know, a- like there's. That's against professional UFC like lifetime guys. This is against regular other kind of normies when it comes to fighting. Right. So even the it's the same thing with like the NHL. Take the worst player in the NHL. He dummies everybody on any rink, any kind of outside of the NHL that he goes to. And it's the same thing. It's as much as Punk could be not a good UFC fighter, you put him outside of the octagon against anybody else in the world, he probably dummies the shit out of them. Easily, right? Like, he just wraps him up out of, no, out of nowhere and puts a rear naked choke on you, and it's it's over in minutes. I did see the, like, I don't know what's going on, and, like, I guess Tony said, like, there is locker room issues and stuff, but, like, I saw someone make a quote, and, like, I'm usually the side of the person trying to do the right thing, right? regardless of you know what went down but i saw uh, someone say on twitter in regards to cm punk and i don't know if this is true or whatever but if you run into an asshole in like the morning then you ran into an asshole if you ran into an asshole all day like a bunch of assholes all day chances are you're the asshole so what's get what's starting yeah. to freak me out a little bit is it seems like he seems to be running into a lot of assholes, but I don't know if it's him that's the asshole or you know, well, everybody I think, else. I think Punk will gladly admit that he's an asshole. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, necessarily not for debate. I think that's that's exactly what he is, um, admittedly so. And yes, I am under the assumption also that there seems to be a common denominator here. Right. Like every time there's some sort of incident, it always seems to be around punk. Now, listen, I I don't know what's going on over there. Um, None of us do. And I really don't give a shit who uh, punk fights and who he doesn't. But if if so, if I was Tony Khan, that's like the lens I always try to put on it. If I was in charge of this bowl of fruits and nuts, like what would I do in this situation? I would cut Jack Perry loose. Like, see you later, buddy. Like uh, one guy makes me money and one guy doesn't. This is nothing to do with anything other than that. One guy's a star, one guy's not. Yeah. And 
And it would it, you start you have to start doing that because if this keeps happening, which it clearly it has, you need to like show there's consequences. Like, or, or here's the other thing that probably should be the solution. I think maybe my solution's a bit, uh, bit severe. Just who the fuck is leaking this information? How many times do you think guys got in fights in the back at some point in, in the old days? There just Every wasn't day. Twitter. Like it happened all the time. It's a competitive environment. These guys are all like, I don't know, um, very masculine macho dudes, or at least they pretend like they are. And sometimes tempers are going to flare. And sometimes guys are getting in a fight. It happens in professional sports all the time, too. Like basketball players getting fights with each other, hockey players getting fights with each other on the ice. It, it happens. Um, and then we move on. So I, th- I think it's hilarious that it's, it's a, uh, an industry revolving around combat. And when combat breaks out, everyone loses their minds. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I just think your solution of getting rid of that dude and being like, well, CM Punk makes me money, but what you enable him. So then he thinks he's untouchable. Right. So I think that's something that it, it's tough to, to kind of pull that card because you do that. And then the next altercation or the next situation that comes up, Punk's going to be like, I got rid of this guy. You think that can't happen to you? And he, you know, then you create this, this mindset throughout the company. It's just like, People well, either afraid to do things or, <clears throat> you know, they shouldn't be doing things. <laughs> that's the that's the point. Like they shouldn't be like fighting each other. Like they should just not, you know, right. So if that is going to stop people from doing this shit. And then right. But the point. It's more of then he becomes infallible. Right. No, I get it. And I, I think the actual solution probably is just let the boys figure it out. Like, that's the way it's always been. Like, let them sort this shit out and no problems going forward. But I don't know. I think James is on to something where if you, if you run into a lot of assholes, maybe you're the asshole. I just, I just think I just think it's just not good practice in something like that. It's similar to any other sport where if you start putting one dude on a pedestal to say, well, he does this so I can't get rid of him. I just think it sets a really bad message and a really bad business plan. Or it's well, it, or it's the thing like who was the player in Detroit? It was Sean Avery, and Sean Avery was about to chirp Joe Sakic. Oh yeah, that's right? a great story. And Brett, Hall, he's, Sean Avery stood up to say something to him. Yeah, he goes, Brett "Hey Hall, Joe." Yeah, he's like, "Hey Joe," yeah. and then Brett Hall grabbed him and like pulled him down to the bench, and he said, "You don't say a fucking thing about Mister Sakic." Like no, he said, no, he, no, he said to him, you don't say a fucking word to Mr. Yeah. Sackick. To me, yeah, to okay. Mr. Sackick. So in this scenario, Punk is Sackick. Right, and Perry is Avery. Avery. What I'm saying yes. is there's no Brett Hall. There aren't enough Brett Halls in, in the locker room or Sackicks to... And that's the thing. They built a company on indie stars who had a chip on their shoulder. But then when you have the veterans who come in here to, to show them the way, a bunch of them don't think they need it, right? Like they, there's Adam Page is a good example. Well, he's like, I don't need it. I don't need advice. Well, I mean, you may not and need, but take he, it. Shut up and listen. And that's why he, yeah, he is. That's why he is the most bland vanilla ice cream wrestler I've uh-huh. ever seen in my life. Like 
all the potential in the world. But every time I watch him, I'm like, this guy is just not boring. it, man. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I know it's a lot of time on the on the the punk stuff, but I think yeah, when but, you look that, at if you look how the company is made up, there's a the weight is on the guys who who couldn't didn't make the big time and then the big time was given to them and it's and it seems very apparent and i'm not saying they couldn't like there was only enough space for so many people in the big time so i'm not knocking them it's just they didn't know how to come correct because they didn't have the opportunity to know and now someone is telling you how to come correct and you don't want to hear it seems kind of weird to me like you you always wanted to make it and maybe it's a thing like well we don't want to do it that way well okay then forever be second best like one thing is for sure that every time there is some sort of aew pay-per-view cm punk is what everyone's always talking about and what the other thing everyone was talking about this week was the big massive contract that the maple leaf signed and it was a long time coming for a lot of money and that contract of course went to simon bennett who signed ben. a one-year deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Benoit. For, did I say Bennett? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Simon. Who's no, Simon Bennett? Play it. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready. No. Wow. Sorry. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, well, no, no, you're, well, we'll it's gone. On. The moment's passed. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, it's, it's over. Uh, Simon Benoit, excuse me, signed a one-year deal with the Maple Leafs worth $775,000. And listen. The hilarious thing to me is like I saw a whole bunch of like uh, tweets about this like under the the announcement, and people were like, "Oh, that that mean that's it. That's that's the the nail in the coffin for TJ Brody. They're shipping him out." And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> people are so like super like laser focused on this cap situation the Maple Leafs are in. They're going to be fine. They they're will figure out a way. They're going to dump enough guys in injured reserve. They're going to they'll find a way. This roster will be like there's no they, you can't ice it. <laughs> well, I guess you can. You take a penalty, but no, there, you, you you ice your team, but you play short. Yeah, there's there's no they're, they're gonna play. There's, there's there's no option. The only only option is to figure it out. So don't like I know I guess that speaks directly in the face of what we do here. I was like, don't worry about it, <laughs> right? Well, I think the thing is, is I think we've seen over the past X amount of years where every time it's you know, cataclysmic cap apocalypse and it's just, that's it. We're done and they're not going to be able to do it. They're going to do it. And everyone comes up with these things and all of a sudden it's, you know, game one, October 7th against Montreal rolls around and all of a sudden it's forgotten because they ice their guys and the team's playing and there's no issues moving forward or do you know what I mean? That I think we spend so much time trying to armchair it that it, we we forget that we only see 10 to 15 percent of what we can actually do and they have people that are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to specifically focus on solving this one issue and they're very very good at it right so i it'll be fine i mean you know the dude i think beyond the whole cap situation as a player getting a defenseman that's 63 and like 210 215 and plays mean and willing to throw down with guys like Mason Marchman and Tom Wilson. 
this is exactly what you need on the back end. Even if he only played, like he played 78 games, I think, or 75 games for the Ducks last year. Dude, you get him into a couple games here and there, and he's, you know, your seventh, eighth, or sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman. You know, maybe you're playing a little bit more of a tougher team and you slot him in or whatever. I'm good with it for the price. I mean, it brings something to your back end that you don't have. Dude, he led that Ducks team. Obviously, he was a minus 29, but don't forget, that Ducks team was the hottest of garbage, and they didn't have anyone that scored over 25 goals. So Yeah, they were trash. They were not a good team. This guy, 78 games, led the team in hits by a wide margin. Led the team in block shots by a wide margin. Led the team in penalty kill ice time by a large margin. Played 19 minutes a night. Sure, he signed a league minimum, and he's going to have to fight to get into this lineup. But, like Maddie said, does bring an element that's missing without Luke Shen this lineup. Has gone toe-to-toe with the likes. Of he, I think he fought Tom Wilson twice yeah. last year. Uh, there's there's a potential for him to work his way into this lineup. And if I'm thinking it, I'm not looking at Brody. I'm looking at a guy like Gio who probably won't be able to play every day. Like, I just, I don't, I don't think they don't let him do that anymore, especially with how he gassed out by the playoffs. You, you mandatory sit him to say, look, man, every sixth, seventh game you're sitting. And is this, Straight is up. this the con, is this the big contract now? Is this what we're talking? Is this what it's Toronto? It's a, the league. You could have had a minor league AHL signing. And it gets attention. No, I'm, I'm just saying we didn't even touch on the other one. No. Oh, I know. I, that was the point. I, I, <laughs> it, it was, he's being facetious. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we didn't even talk this much about Mr. Benoit, but no. But I think it, I think it warrants because it's for years. It would have been guys like your TJ Brody, guys like your Lilia Grins, guys like your unfortunately Justin Halls that get paid to come in, and they all do the same thing. They're all guys that'll move the puck or try to move the puck. And guys that can skate their ways out of situations and put themselves, but no, never was it a defenseman outside of the trade for Shen because he waited so long to kind of acquire that. But it was never getting the guy from the offset to come in and be mean. It was never the guy to say, don't worry about the puck. Don't worry about, you know, making, you know, the great offensive play. What we want you to do is. Make people afraid to be, play in front of the net. Make people afraid to go into a corner and just deal some punishment and then just get the puck up to the forwards. You don't have to make great first pass, high and tight off the glass, and we're happy. And he's probably like, okay. Yeah, like those yeah, were always elements we tried to add to the trade deadline. And it's, you're right. I think that's actually an interesting point is that these aren't things we're just picking up at the trade deadline. Ryan Reeves, you know, Simon Benoit. I don't, yeah. even, I don't remember the guy's name. Sorry, dude. Um, if you're listening, Bertuzzi. It's just Simon Bertuzzi. Benoit, but it might be Simone. But I, anyways, it's Benoit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm yeah, just saying, but- like, at least they're giving this element a chance to breathe and flow through the lineup from the beginning of the season, and it's not just like a dash of parsley at the at the end of the like the season. I just I feel like it, it'll have a better effect on these guys and it's something to help carry them through the playoffs uh i mean well, if the guy cracks the lineup we don't know well it's it's like you said and i think we said this before too 
It's great to have this team come through, do really well, 105-point team, and then trade deadline comes. You're like, okay, what do we think we need? Let's do this, this. You start to shift the culture, and you start to bring in guys that haven't been there all season, and then it ends up messing with the mojo and the relationships and like kind of rocking the boat a bit, whether they're good players that come in and don't rock the boat in a negative way, but just throw guys off. This way, they do all the team building preseason. They do all the, you know, the training together. They get to learn about each other and not just, hey, we're on a road trip in Nashville. We just got this guy. He's going to come in. Let's get him a jersey and throw him on the ice. And especially from a toughness standpoint, what, what, and I know they do it. And like Luke Shen was great at, you know, sticking up for teammates and stuff and all that kind of, but like you show up at the end of March or mid-March, and you're like, okay, now go fight this guy f- to protect this guy. And, like, you don't even know this guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. why, why are you supposed to stand up for Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner when you took four steps off a plane? Like, I know it's your job, but part of protecting the players on your team is that they're just that. They're your team, and it takes time to, to build that. And I hope that, you know, guys like Reeves and, and Benoit help build that part of the culture. I know I, like... Again, as a guy who's played not that high level, but if I just got traded to another team, I'd have a very hard time emotionally investing myself in somebody that I just fucking met yesterday, right? If you're not counting Jake Muzzin, which I don't think we are, uh, currently Ben Moss slotted in as the eighth defenseman on this team. So I don't know how many games he's going to play. I would say probably 40 at the most. Maybe more. Maybe someone gets hurt and he has to play a whole lot more games. But what I like to see out of this is if Reeves is in the box for throwing punches in someone's face, you still have another guy who can do it too. Mm-hmm. So you got a couple. Penalty. Yeah. If That's the thing. Is he also kills penalties, block shots. It's great. It's exactly what you want. It's what you don't have. Now, if he's a bottom pair, bottom pair with someone like Lilligren, they could end up being really well together. Who knows, right? Maybe just maybe that's all he needs is the right opportunity with the right player. We see it all the time. You know, Cody Franzen and Mark Fraser were a perfect example of that. Once they parted and went their separate ways, neither of them were as good as they were when they were together. So you know, maybe he comes in and he plays with gets paired with someone here that he just gels with really well. So And he's gonna get to play with a lot of really good players. Oh, yeah. And one of which just signed a new contract extension, something that we have been hypothesizing about for a little while. And, you know, with all of that money that is about to head their way, you know what would be a great use of that money? Checking out our sponsor, because this episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. Now your treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Sourced from galleries in the U.S. and U.K., which include artists from all over the world. Visit Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or .com. And remember, go to Now Your Treasures on Instagram. Send them a DM 43.6 to receive 
43% off any order. I have to get that in now because I feel like the Austin Matthews things might go a bit longer than uh, a traditional <laughs> segment. But So, uh, yes, I, of course, I'm talking about Austin Matthews, who signed a four-year contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's going to be paid, uh, well, his cap hit is 13.250. And, yeah, that's, that's a lot, obviously. That's uh, more than what he's currently making. Um, his cap hit currently is 11, six, 11 million, 11.6 million. We'll just say it's a lot of numbers in there. He's at 11.6. Now starting next year, he's going to be at 13.2. Now here's the thing guys. And I know a lot of people are looking at that 13.2 and they're saying, Oh boy, Oh boy. A guy who's already making so much money is getting even more money. And the Maple Leafs are cash strapped as it is, or cap strapped, strapped as it is. Definitely not cash strapped. <laughs> Definitely not cash strapped. If you look at this contract and you see how the money is being uh, paid oh. out to Austin Matthews. So his cap hit is 13.25. And that's just an average value. You take the total value of the contract, which is $53 million, and you divide it by four, and that's how you get your cap hit. But the actual salary. He's getting paid. He's actually getting paid the same amount of salary that Mr. Benoit is getting paid. He's getting paid $775,000 every year. Or actually, I shouldn't say every year. The first two years, he's getting paid $775,000. But he gets a nice signing bonus in July 1st of $15.925 million. And then the following year, a $14 million signing bonus. The following year, a $10 million signing bonus. And the following, in the final year, a $9.1 million signing bonus. And Look, here's something that uh, I don't know if everyone's thinking about. And I don't know if you guys just uh, are catching the vibe that I'm uh, throwing out here right now. But <laughs> don't say it. His contract ends at the same time as someone else's. Oh, that's I mean, that's not quite what I was going to say. But oh, that's okay. also something that's also something to consider, though. Yeah. Because if you look at this contract don't in the final it. year after July 1st, 34. He's going to be a real tradable contract yeah, at 900,000. Yeah, you know? no. It's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got a full no move. Right? Yeah. So doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Seen... I mean, we literally saw Eric Carlson get traded this offseason yeah. who had a full no move clause. So I mean, anyways. I don't think they're going to Yeah. I mean, yeah, the they would only real money is like 900k and the cap hit like i'm sure he could go to arizona on trade by the way shout out to all the people who thought he was going to arizona uh yeah clowns i see a lot so of he's people. i got a i got a bone to pick with sid six arrow all right <laughs> so they should call him uh clickbait sid clickbait six arrow if he ever made an entrance in pro wrestling well i mean i it's, it's working out for him because he's actually a very popular personality and he got he probably is as popular as he is because of these things. Right. So he he had a little rant that was clipped in short form, went pretty viral. Of how do you how do you be the Toronto Maple Police and you not get your star signed for eight years? How how do you in what world this this sham of a company or whatever, dude? Let let's break this down here just for one moment. It's not four years from today. It's four years from next July 1st. So right now you have five years of Austin Matthews currently. At, 
If Austin Matthews signed an eight-year contract, at what age would he be when this contract was over? 34, 35. Right. So you're telling me you're comfortable paying a 34, 35-year-old $13.2 million? I would say that, but at that time, though, that that 13 point two million dollars doesn't look like 13.2 does today just because of the cap it will we, go up uh we i will um still we don't know how much or by what percentage i don't know that i'm comfortable committing that kind of money i mean for, for i heard someone say for context i forget where i heard this connor mcdavid's contract when he signed it he was 16 percent of edmonton's cap space as of right now, he's 15.9 or 15.8. So the percentage of cap for Connor McDavid hasn't changed. Now, again, he was younger when he signed an eight-year deal. That's different. Would I have wanted Matthews to sign an eight-year deal on his previous contract? Sure, but Kyle Dubas got rinsed, right? So now we're in this position. I don't hate it. I no. don't. No, you buy you bought up his prime years. You literally have him for his entire chunk of his prime years. That When this contract ends, there's nothing to say that he's not going to resign. There's nothing to say. He's just like, hey, cap's going to be going up quite a bit by then. I'm going to be able to do more. Instead of $13 million, I could be getting $15, 16000000 million per year for the next you know, four or five years after that. And you know, that could be something that he's looking at, which honestly, he's smart to do. What bugs me though is not anything that he or you know the organization has done to sign him. It's the people, again, like you said, Sid, that get mad or pissed off at the organization. They had zero leverage. He could have been like, too bad, I'm not signing. Or he could have said, I want three years. And he had every card on the table. So if he went in, also, he could have asked for a lot fucking more. He could have been like, hey, I want $17 million, which I think would have been close to what the max is, or I just over the max. He could have asked for what the max allowable is and said, that's not my problem. You guys figure it out, but this is what I want. And then the shitstorm that would have been on if they either A, didn't sign it, or B, traded him to say, we're not doing that, because you can't trade him. He has no move. So then you're essentially going to let him walk. So right. the thing is, is what what would they have done? And here's another thing. Okay, yeah, they didn't sign him to eight years, but after his entry-level contract, Kyle Dubas signed him for five years, and now he has re-signed for another four years. They have got nine years after his entry-level, so but when it's all said and done, he's going to be with a Maple Leaf for 12 fucking years. At an average of $12 million. And you're going to tell me that $12 million, uh, like, would you have signed uh, Austin Matthews four years ago for eight years or nine years if you could nine years at 12 million dollars average i think you would yeah but look at the other guys in that draft okay austin matthews went first overall patrick line was a second overall pick in that draft class not worth anything more than seven eight right now but he's any and he's not with the jets anymore he's nope. not with the columbus blue jackets right same with Dubois, who is, I think, Dubois number three. Went, Dubois went third to the Jackets, who's now with the Kings, right? Yep. And then you had Pugliarvi, who went to the Oilers in fourth overall, who might not even play in the NHL this year. And then you have 
Matthew, Matthew Kachuk, who no longer plays for the Calgary Flames. So everyone else in this draft class has moved on since, and they're criticizing the Maple Leafs for signing the best player in franchise history, arguably, or at least on track to be. I, I think when he's done, he will be, even if he leaves and plays somewhere else for the last three, four years of his career. I, I think in terms of pure goal score and talent, he'll go down as the best player in the franchise history. Also, look at the trouble San Jose went through with Eric Carlson's contract. I don't I don't want that. I want we, we sit here and we're like, oh cap flexibility. Dude, that exists on both sides of the table. Like you can't have cap flexibility by, you know, only not committing to certain guys. Like there has to be a, a world where you can protect your like the four years gives Austin Matthews the highest return that he wants and flexibility for him. It also gives flexibility for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like don't don't get it twisted. If the Leafs don't win anything in the next five years, fuck, they might blow it up by the time he's 35. I don't know. Maybe they should. Like what what kind of contract are you gonna offer him at 34? Two years, three years? Like he's like like right? Yeah, and there's there's a couple of things I want to throw at you too. And when we're talking about these cap numbers Austin Matthews is at 11.6 right now. When that new contract kicks in, he's going to be at 13.2. I I wonder if people can do simple math sometimes. Like, if you just take a look at the difference of those two numbers, it's a raise of $1.6 million up against the cap. It's not a lot. How much money do you think the salary cap is going to increase next year? I I, I think a lot of people are thinking it's going to go up quite a bit, and that's why you saw a lot of one, two-year deals for guys this year. That they think uh, the, it's going to The general just consensus, jump. it'll be about 87 and a half to 80. If not which, 90. Which would be, what is it now, 84? So it would be at least a $3 million increase. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they're, yeah. They're like it's anywhere from like 87 to 90 that they think it could be. I think the real indicator, though, is they, the idea is that as long as there's no issues in three years, it'll be like 100 million. So that I want everyone to be weary of, though. So I know a lot of people are suggesting and projecting what that could be. And man, I don't know. Because NHL is now three years into their seven-year deal with ESPN. And I saw this on Twitter the other day. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something along the lines of ESPN's viewership or like subscriber base has gone from like 80 million to 45 million. And Disney's looking to like just cut this shit loose. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if ESPN ratings. is going to be... And ratings for the NHL have actually... Mm. Yeah, like, it's this isn't... They don't have Messi all of a sudden bringing people in. So, I, I'm just saying, I don't know where... Um, I agree that there will be more money coming in. Maybe there'll be a big player like Amazon come in and throw a shit ton of money at the NHL and, and totally change how uh, sports is broadcasted. But, something to keep in mind, I know a lot of people are banking on the fact that the NHL is going to make a lot of money in the next... Uh, television rights agreements, but I wonder if you ask people at uh, at Rogers right now how they're feeling about the billion dollars they gave the NHL. I don't know if they'll be happy about it. Should we but. like think about what happens because that deal is coming up soon? Yeah. So, yeah, what sure do you think? Is. Do you do you think that it splits? Like, do you think that maybe Bell and Rogers split the rights for the NHL and go in half half on it or something? Or do you think maybe TSN's like, you know what, we want this back, and they make a bit, Bell makes a bigger bid, 
to not what currently has, but or in Rogers, just like, you know what? We're done with this. Or I wonder this. And this is going to sound like my hate towards Bell Media. But if you look at the way Bell has operated over the past few years, they have been cut cost, cut cost, cut cost. Like they shut down at least a half dozen radio stations in the past year. Yeah, the Vancouver and, radio, right? And they bailed on TIFF. Yeah. And even like the radio stations they're still operating, they're just outsourcing their talent. Like they don't need, I shouldn't say their talent, their shows oh, are dude, outsourcing. TSN half the time is ESPN radio. Like it's like the Dan Levitard show. Right. Yeah. So I can't see a world where TSN is going to be interested in throwing in a shit ton of money to get the initial rights again. I I don't think they have the infrastructure anymore. Like they've kind of like said, fuck it, we're out. Like we'll show darts from now on. We're done. I, they've, they are the AEW channel now. They're, so I can't. TSN one is ESPN eight. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think the influx will necessarily come from the TV deal, like it'll help, but I just think that the NHL has been ultra conservative over the past few years, especially with their revenue sharing and the way the CBA was that I think they will be better positioned than maybe some of the other sports, um, to kind of move forward with an increasing cap. But again, who knows what next year will bring, you know, what if all of a sudden, you know, a continent burns off of the face of the planet because global warming is a bitch and, you know, you lose half of the planet, right? Then that's obviously going to fuck with you. So, um, I don't know. I just think, I, I, I think that for both sides, the Matthews deal four more years plus the one that he has coming up. So five total and the actual amount, it, it keeps them pretty, pretty comfortable and flexible cap wise. I agree. And I have all the faith in the world in this team right now. Now, how I go ahead, Matty. I was going to say, I do have one question though. And I I don't know if if this jumps on. Who do you think is more worried and more anxious right now? Leaf fans or Oilers fans? I don't, I don't think there's any reason to be worried as a Maple Leafs fan. Unless you are like heavily invested in your William Nylander sweater. I can't for a second see any reason for you to be upset or terrified of what this team looks like. This team looks great. Which, yeah, I have the William Nylander situation. The more I think about it, there, there's a if the cap goes up with Matthew's contract ironed out now at, a, at only a million. If the cap goes up three million, and Willie takes nine million, which I mean as a percentage raise, you know, if you think about it. He makes seven-ish now. That's almost like a a 30% raise, right? Actually, maybe like an 18% raise, I think. Like, that's pretty good. So, I mean, there's there's a... I'm starting to believe now there's a world where both of these gentlemen... uh, And, I mean, Tavares' contract will be up the year after. Yeah. Or, no, he would be up next year, too. No, two years. There's two years remaining on John Tavares' contract. And Mitch Marner. There's, I'm Correct. starting to believe there's a world where William Nylander does stay on this team. And I've been the, the you, one who said they're going to have to do, they're going to have to whatever. 
I think there's a world where he stays. There's so Tavares' contract is up in 24-25, so we have two more years of him. I think you literally have to weather potentially one year of shit. And it's not next year, it's the year after. That could be the real down year, the real regression year. If you end up getting Nylander done at something, that's probably going to be the one real tough year that is going to make you sweat in terms of you're going to have four or five really good players. The rest of the team's going to be all spare parts. And I mean, after it, that, it, it once Tavares' money comes off... Look at the contracts they give guys now. Like, if they can find ways to get guys on semi-good deals, you know... Right. But what I'm saying is more of... Willie, say Willie signs for 10. He's like, I'm not taking a shade below 10. You say... Like, you're not happy about it, but you're like, fine. And it's that 24-25 year where you're you're kind of sweating a bit. But then, all of a sudden, you get an influx of... I think Tavares plus a couple other guys, like $15 million that with also an increased cap, it doesn't look as bad. It's just the one year. Plus now, also there'll be a lockout too. So don't worry about yeah, that. That's true too. Yeah. I also, I also don't see, listen, whatever people want to say, there's no, there's no world with what other players have signed contracts for. I don't care how many 40 goals. Great. There's no world. William Nylander is a double digits player. There's no world. I'm sorry. There's, I like he can ask and credit to him for asking. There's just look, looking at comp contracts. There's no world that he doesn't have an argument, and I'm sorry he just doesn't. So I gotta think he comes in under ten. But that's a problem. That sounds like a that sounds like a July first, 2024 problem. Yeah. Well, I, but I, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna move on, so you can if you want anything else to say, go for it. Well, it was just more of like I said back to what I was saying is like, who do you think is more worried, Leafs fans or Oilers fans? I think if Edmonton has another really really bad year, I think they that fan base like in terms of I Cup final or bust for them, I think they really start getting butt clenched. Like but that's the same. That's the same for us. I mean, I think it's the same. If the Leafs don't make a do like some people i heard people joking oh they got to make at least a conference final the fuck why like at what like you're signing the guy's the highest paid player in the league at least until mcdavid's contracts up or dry saddles dry saddle make more too so until those two gentlemen are up like what do you mean like conference final like we should be sweating too like they have, I would say they have three years because you're not going to blow it up in the last year. We have three years to do some damage. And if we don't, bleh. so McDavid's up, his last year is 25 26. And when's dry? So, let me see. So it's going to be some time until 24 25. Yeah. So Austin Matthews will be the highest paid player in. The NHL for a couple, a year or two, right? So, so yeah. here's the thing, though, is I think the dry saddle one is going to be the one that will really be the indicator because he's severely underpaid at 8.5 million. <laughs> severely underpaid at 8.5 million. Uh, arguably the best playoff player in the league right now. Now, if if he walks, then McDavid's like, why am I still here? <laughs> right. Well, he's still there for the extra year in the contract, right? So, but you know what you, I mean, like beyond yeah. that, you know. No, but I mean, like the Oilers can give him eight years, right? I think that's if he's. 
I don't know. So who knows, right? That's <laughs> years and years from now. Who knows what uh, Connor McDavid's thinking? Um, I do know that he was playing pickup hockey the other day in some local rink in Newmarket. Yeah, in Newmarket with uh, one Graham from Smash Wrestling fame. Oh, Graham was playing that. Yeah, he said uh, Quentin Byfield was on his team at one point, and McDavid was just out there dogging it, but. Obviously, still dogging it because he's better than <laughs> every your single ass, person. McDavid, skate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he had no interest in back checking, apparently. But you know, that's that's what you get. You, but could you imagine a men's league game? McDavid, you know, back checks, hard slips and falls, breaks an ankle three weeks before training camp. Right. Oh, man's not getting oh. beers tossed his way in the dressing room first. I feel like that whole story wasn't talked about enough. Of like how just fucking crazy it is. Like I'm shocked it happened. Yeah, like I'm not a hockey guy, so like it doesn't really I don't I don't really care. But like if I was playing baseball, like just we were outside hanging out, playing a pickup game of baseball, and all of a sudden like Vlad Jr.'s like, Hey, can I play with you guys? I'm like, what? <laughs> like I would lose my mind, right? It'd be the coolest thing in the world. But it just didn't register is, with me like that with McDavid. The thing is though, if you play enough hockey in the city, especially come like late July through August. And you play, like I said, you play enough hockey in and around Toronto GTA. You do come into contact with some pros playing every now and then. You know, like I skated with Bunting a couple times when he was in Arizona, um, just before the season would start out in Scarborough. And then there's a few other guys that would come out and skate there as well, just kind of leading up into training camp before they take off to go wherever they go. So it's actually pretty common for that. All right, I'm I'm more shocked that it happened because. It's actually built in their contracts that they're not really supposed to be doing that. Like, I remember when Stamkos played baseball, he had to get clearance from the team to let him play in his usual summer baseball league in Unionville because it's a risk, right? So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, like, there's things like they don't want you riding motorcycles. And they like, it's there's weird little things in the contract that prevent you from high risk injury situations. And so, that's what I mean is, could you imagine if some dude hacks and breaks McDavid's hands because he thinks this is his shot at the best player in the world? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, there's a lot of interesting contract situations happening. And I think it's probably now the time for the Blue Jays to start considering that as well. Because after losing the series to the Cleveland Guardians which was the Guardians' first series win in the entire month. It's officially time to fold it up. Uh, the season is over. The Blue Jays will not be making the playoffs. And now it's time to start thinking, okay, what do you do next year? And obviously, Matt Chapman will be a New York Yankee. And I assume Whit Merrifield will be wherever he wants to go. He's going to get paid next year, Whit Merrifield. Because he is by far the best player on the Blue Jays. And then, to add insult to injury, Matt Chapman, who is the future New York Yankee, who will not be re-signed with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays next year, goes down with an injury, uh, right middle finger sprain. And then, <laughs> about 30 minutes after that, Bo Bichette goes down with an injury. I think it was calf tightness is what the report was when he actually left the game um, he uh, quad tightness, excuse me. He is currently day to day. They're still waiting the results of the MRI. Huh. So, not only 
do the Blue Jays lose two starting players, two all-stars essentially out of their lineup for whatever reason, John Schneider absolutely despises Davis Schneider. That has to be the case because all this guy ever did was show up when they needed someone to hit and just smash bombs. He went into Fenway Park and just crushed home runs. And then uh, since he did that, John Schneider decided to sit him on the bench for the past month. And kids barely played. And when he does play, and he, of course, hits home runs and gets extra base hits and gets on base. Cashes runners in. Cashes in runners. In high percentage situations, in situations where you need a run, he pinch runs Davis Snyder? I'm very curious. L- listen, I know that Kevin Kiermeyer is a fast motherfucker. I get that. I like Kevin Kiermeyer. I, I really like Kevin Kiermeyer. And I know he's one of the fastest players in the league. I want to see a side-by-side comparison of Kevin Kiermeyer sprinting 100 yards and Davis Snyder sprinting 100 yards. Not even 100 yards. I want to see them go from first to third. And how long it takes each of them to do first to third? How long does it take each of them to go from second to home? Because uh, genius John Snyder feels like, oh, it's a late game situation. I got to put Kevin Kiermeyer in as a pinch runner for our best hitter who happens to be a fucking 25-year-old kid. It's not like he's Vlad Jr. over there who looks like he ate a basketball for lunch. Like, he looks like an athlete. He looks like a guy who can run and hit and catch and play baseball. But you're pinch running a guy who can help you. And it's not even like you're saying, okay, he's going to go in and be the guy. And Kiermaier is going to go in and score the winning run. He's pinch running for a tying run here. What are we doing? What are And even when Davis Snyder finds his way into the lineup, as he did on Sunday afternoon, great. But they they took out Whit Merrifield to do it, dude. It's at the time of recording. This is August twenty eighth. The Blue Jays are out of the playoffs. When is the time? Two and a half games. When is the time to start trying to win games? When is the time to start April, saying, you know April, what, April we're gonna 1st. we're gonna field our best fucking team we can? April first, twenty twenty four, right? Like that's what, what are we doing? They, they dude, they're frauds, dude. It's it. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna read you Whit Merrifield's stat line in thirty seven at bats. This man has nine runs, sixteen hits, five home runs, eleven RBIs. Is batting a 432. You're talking a, about Davis Snyder, not Whit Merrifield. Yeah, Davis Snyder. With a 1442 OPS. I mean, the team. The t- I was a defender of John Snyder at the beginning of the season. I was I horribly wrong. <laughs> I, I said it. I said I he's not the guy. Go this back, guy, check the tape. What I want to know is said I would give him a chance, but I think the chances run out. What I what I want to know is why where is Don Mattingly and why is he not beating the shit out of John Schneider? 
uh, in the clubhouse so that he can take over. The and it's no, oh, yeah, it's not just this though, right? It's not just the bonehead pinch running maneuvers. It's not the allowing it's guys the to pitching. swing when they shouldn't it's be swinging. Kikuchi out of games. It's how many times is Kikuchi taken out of the games in, in April and May when he was doing totally fine? How many? What about? I mean, you could argue, and this would be incredibly unfair to John Schneider, but you could argue that he like totally destroyed Alec Manoa's career, and he finally started p- pitching well in that one and start. And he pulled him out. And he pulled him out accidentally because he didn't realize that he wasn't allowed to do two mound visits in the same inning without pulling the pitcher. Like these are. These are mistakes that sh- that just can't be made at the major league level. And I don't know if it comes from him or what the what the coaching or how the managerial strategy of this team is. And I know I've said it on I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I feel like I say it every day talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. The team, if I, it's like Teoscar Hernandez left and just infected every one of them with swinging down and away. This team only gets pitched junk because they swing at everything, right? They can't... There's two runners on base. Instead of a guy going up there being like, I'm cashing in two, every batter goes, I'm cashing in three. I'm going to swing for... Dude, for the for the life of me, I've wanted this team to manufacture runs. David Schneider is a run manufacturer. That's what he does. Does he hit home runs? He has five. But like you said, he also hits extra base hits. And he also has a clutch... Uh, hitting capability that the rest of this team, despite many of them being major leaguers, does not have. I don't understand why this team can't take pitches. I don't understand why this team has... And, and, and it's not this like, horrendous with runners in scoring position. It feels like for the better part of a decade. Here's Here's a crazy stat that I saw the other day. This was posted... About five days ago as of recording. So it's probably worse now. (laughs) So keep that in mind. And this comes from uh, Blue Jays King on Twitter, who's a pretty funny follow. At the time of this tweet, which was five days ago. Ex-post. The Blue Jays are the only team in Major League Baseball with at least three players with 17 plus ground into double plays. Kirk, George Springer. And Vladimir Guerrero. Nine other teams have just one player with 17 plus. The remaining 20 teams have none. Dude, that should I, tell you everything you need to know about the ineffective hitting of this roster. I'm I'm gonna say it, dude. Alejandro Kirk sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's being it's, a dad or something. Oh. But he is he. You want to talk about eating a base uh, basketball? Holy shit. You know, and, and here and just for context, Gabe Moreno is a 282 with five home runs and a 722 OPS. I think the issue with Kirk is that if you look at and I, I know I've given George Springer a hard time because he had a really rough stretch offensively. But if you look at his defense, he's been good in right field. Um Vlad Guerrero has been below average at first base this year in terms of like batting. Like if you look at all the uh, first baseman and yeah, look at all their contribution of, as a first baseman. Yeah. He is a below average first baseman this season. 
But defensively, he's still just as good as he has always been. And last year, he won a gold glove. You look but at Alejandro Kirk. Him to be a goal, you don't pay first baseman to be gold glove first baseman. Like I'm not shit talking the defense and the stretch or whatever, but at the end of the day, first base is probably the least demanding defensive position. I would agree. That's why they put fat dudes and guys who get yes. like that's why they put them at first base. Right? I it was John Cruck played first base for fuck's sakes. Frank Thomas played first base. Right. I'm pretty sure Cecil Fielder played first base. Yeah, a lot of these guys Prince played Fielder. first base and they're all really good I think dudes. Prince Fielder played first base. I, I think Fielder. Cecil is an outfielder, but in yeah, any event. Uh, well, Vladdy's going to have to uh, shift over to third base now because I don't think uh, Ernie Clement is going to be a consistent starter in the Blue Jays lineup as he Give- is. Aurelvis Martinez. What is what is this team waiting for with these players? He may not be as good as we're thinking. I think that might be the problem. Dude, he might not be as good as we're thinking. He's got to be as good as our options. It's time well, these right guys got to crack. Like, they well, have we're to play. To it, right? September 1st Reds. is... Look at the Reds. A few days away. Look at the Reds. What, with Ellie De La Cruz? The Blue I mean, Jays no, don't that, have Ellie De La Cruz in their, I understand in their system. That. But every time a guy gets hurt, they're playing next guy like next guy up from the system, and it's paying off. Well, to be fair, that's where David Snyder came from. But we're not playing him. No, but that's a John Snyder problem, right? That's not a. It's honestly, I. Oh, you remember that scene in Moneyball where of course Brad Moneyball. Pitt. Moneyball is a great movie, and Brad Pitt goes to what's his face, the manager of. Uh, the Oakland A's, and he's like, I want Hatterberg at first base. And the manager's like, nope, the man, the card is mine. I'm going to set my lineup based on the guys I think, and Hatterberg is not a first baseman, so I'm playing Pena. And every game, Pena would be started, and he's like, fuck it, and he just trades Pena. So he has to use Hatterberg. I almost feel like that's the situation we're in right now, where it's like, use Davis Snyder. It's not hard. Just put him in the fucking lineup. And there's John Snyder's like, oh, no, I got to go back to Kevin Bijou because he's a left-handed bat. And I'd rather see a left-hander strike out than a right-handed hit a home run because it's, it's all about lefty versus righty, you know? Uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, so, pack it in. I think this team's toast. The benefit is that we have multiple years still of Yusei Kikuchi, who is was on a Cy Young tear almost from, from the trade deadline, uh, at least. We have multiple. How many? I think we have, break, essentially. Yeah, I think we have multiple years of Kevin Gossman left. So there's there's a foundation still that you know it, they just they gotta. Mm, yeah, I saw somewhere that the Blue Jays were the most frustrating team in baseball. No, oh, in sports. <laughs> in, <laughs> in sports, you might be right. Like I don't know. I don't know if there's a more frustrating franchise in pro sports right now. You look at NBA, who's more frustrating? I don't think there's, I don't know that there is one in hockey. Well, I can actually, I mean, I think I have a good example of who's more frustrating than the Toronto Blue Jays. Who? Toronto FC. Oh. Remember that joke? Remember that joke we, we were talking about like two months ago? Remember you almost bought season tickets, Jim? Oh, dude, have you yeah. ever when they when they made the phrase "really dodge the bullet" there? Uh, it was for 
me buying season tickets to this junk <laughs> joke of a professional soccer team. Anyway, sorry, Dustin. <laughs> well, I was just saying, like, remember that joke we said months ago that the uh, Toronto FC has more kits than wins? <laughs> they currently still legitimately have more kits than wins. That is, that is still a true statement. That, uh, the Toronto FC has still yet to pass three wins this season. They are now last place in all of MLS, which is pretty hilarious. Um, however, they do have a new head coach. And one, John Herdman, who um, most famously in this country, known as the head coach of the men's and women's national team. And former. Well, for, yeah, no longer now the uh, head coach of the national team because he's taking the job with Toronto FC. I mean, a good guy to have. I, yeah. I like John Herdman. I like him a lot. I don't know about his success rate in terms of at least the men's team. Now, look, hey, he got them to the World Cup. That CONCACAF run is, was wild. It was. It was cool. It was definitely cool. And I was all in on that Canadian men's national team until they got to the World Cup and got their lunch taken. So, But that was kind of expected, no? Was it? Yes. I don't think it was. I th First time on the international stage like that with that much kind of hype coming in, that's a lot of pressure for a team to live up to. I get it. It was a lot of pressure, but I don't know. Just because they had won CONCACAF, it wasn't like they snuck in on the, but the they last possible chance. Too. Like, and they were beating USA and Mexico. And like, it wasn't like it was, oh, they, they snuck in by beating uh, Venezuela or something in a, in a weird, you know, last place team from this division versus last place team in that division. Like, no, they, they won CONCACAF handily. Anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know um, what impact he's going to make immediately. I think there's far more problems on this team than just coaching. Coaching was a big problem because there was a number of times where Bernadeschi was sitting up in the pre in, in one of the suites for whatever reason. He wasn't hurt. <laughs> Smoking and day. we, yeah, and we've seen. Uh, reports of Insigne just walking out of practice saying, fuck these guys. And that happened recently, like, like a couple days ago. There was a big disconnect between, at least between the, the two big stars, Bernadeschi and Insigne, that they were not happy here. Now, is this going to change things? I don't know. Hopefully. I, I, I hope that they, <laughs> Toronto FC gets some value out of these two guys. If Ted Lasso can change, change Jamie Tart. John Herdman can change these guys. You know what, Maddie? The fact that TFC has been looking for a coach for this long, and we haven't made a Ted Lasso reference until now, I'm, I'm disappointed, honestly. In all I'm of disappointed us. in you because I made it before you. It's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. My yeah. take on the Herdman thing is I think one, great for the team. It's a guy who does have pedigree of it's similar to some coaches in the NHL, like Alain Vignon or Tortorella great experience of initial success of the first couple years when they come in. I think the men's thing isn't necessarily completely on him. Like I said, international stage and getting it, that's a lot for them to live up to. What I think though, is this is also a massive indictment on Canada soccer. And I mean, massive because like, what's their plan moving forward? He clearly didn't see eye to eye with them. 
they clearly either not funding or he doesn't agree with how they run their operation. He's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm out. And TFC well, came to him and maybe heard whispers he's available and or not funding, happy and funding for sure. I mean, he's probably getting a. I don't know. I didn't look, but he's getting a fat paycheck from TFC compared to probably what Canada was paying him. Right. So for sure, but I I think just beyond the money aspect of what he's getting paid, I think he just looked at Canada soccer and said, I I don't agree with how you treat both the men and the women because he had as he's had a big hand in growing both sides of that. Um, in recent years that I think this is both a win for TFC and a shit on Canada soccer. And you know what? Canada soccer deserves it. They're a bunch of pieces of shit for what they've done over the past, you know, five years. Um, especially when the opportunity was right there to really bolster and grow the sport at its peak with the women winning the Olympics and then the men making the world cup and us hosting the world cup. Like this, it's, I don't think it's it should be understated of how big this is, considering we're about to host a World Cup. Yeah, like and they really like, need to. I'm gone. They, yeah, you're right. They really need to like the World Cups kind of bookend like soccer growth in this country, and to have one of the biggest markets be such a shit team is not good. Like they have to find a way to make TFC competitive between these events so that. The, the sport can continue to grow in this country as like it, the sport doesn't grow in this country if the sport in toronto doesn't grow and the sport in toronto is not going to grow until this team continues to be competitive and they're not competitive right now john herdman a great first step <clears throat> the problems with tfc stretch far beyond john herdman uh they, they don't play as a team the back end is atrocious i've never seen so many one-touch passes through defenders that I've seen watching TFC games. <laughs> They're just like, where the fuck? They have no idea what's going on. They got blanked by Columbus. Um, they f- it feels like they get blanked. I Actually, I think until Bernadeschi scored the other day, <clears throat> they were they hadn't scored a goal in like forever. At least it felt like it. <laughs> um, the games are just painful to watch right now. And, you know, I don't, there's... Look, Inter-Miami, unbeaten since Messi got there. There's no Messi for this team to acquire, right? Like, they could go out and get Cristiano Ronaldo. It's not going to be the same thing. Like, Messi is on another level where the game flows through him. And it, like, he's he's assisting. He's scoring. He's, like, he's the game. The play flows through him for Inter-Miami. I don't know if there's a player out there for TFC to go and acquire. I mean, I imagine they cut bait on, at the very least, Insigne. Uh, in the offseason, I don't know about Bernardeschi. I personally think Bernardeschi is a better fit for this team overall. He's got a better, I feel like he's got a better foot. Um, you know, for for the like, he's, he's the team's best crosser by far. Um, but man, <laughs> the 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 problems on, on the back end run deep, they don't have a true feels like we don't have a true striker. It's just, I don't know. Like, Herman's a great first step, but this team's got a long way to go. Uh, I don't know. Throw, throw, I don't know, what is it? 800 million at Mbappe. That's what we should do. Bro, well, if they did that and they got him here, sheesh. There was one uh, very highly touted footballer that they could have got, but unfortunately he was traded to the Dallas Cowboys, and that's Trey Lance. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> TFC has announced Trey Lance will be playing striker midfield for TFC. 
TFC Honestly, is now I, it's a almost football the, club. It's almost at that point where TFC might as well just throw darts at the wall and just see if they can bring in some celebrity players. Like, hey, Chad Ochocinco is going to play for uh, TFC this year. <laughs> or uh, Sell a ticket or two. Honestly. Like, I think attendance is still decent, right? It is. Like, yeah. For TFC? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. They're still they're still doing fine in that respect, but um, yeah, Trey Lance was traded this past week to the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's a fourth round pick that went the other way, and obviously people are losing their minds about this one because well, the 49ers gave up a pretty penny to acquire the pick that eventually would turn into Trey Lance, and. Plus, with all of the the noise last year of, is it Trey Lance? Is it Jimmy G? And then all of a sudden comes Brock Purdy, and you're like, oh, wait, who is the starting quarterback on this team? And the entire offense has been, I mean, built around Trey Lance. And it seemed like he was the heir apparent in San Francisco. He started last year. But now he's the backup to Dak Prescott. <laughs> it's like, what happened here? And how... So, do you see at some point in Dallas's season where Trey Lance is a starter and Dak Prescott isn't? Yes, because Dak, Dak is made of glass. Yeah, I mean, and Dak... I, I mean, I'd have to look it up, but I feel... And I know feelings aren't necessarily facts... But about I how many like, games Dak Prescott has missed lately? No, well, not just I that feel going. like I feel like Dak throws a lot of interceptions. He does. He, I mean, interception he, he does. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, sorta. <laughs> so I don't, dude. I mean, I think, I think the who was the dude that played in in, in lieu of Dak being hurt last year, and they were all like. Let this let the guy run the table, <laughs> and they were. Oh jeez, I don't remember. I don't remember his name, but I remember him playing well the, a couple games right, right after Dak got hurt. And I think that that Cooper tells Rush. you all there is to know. Cooper about Rush, yes. Cooper Rush, go. yes. Cooper Rush. Uh, I feel like that tells you all there is. To, when people are saying, when you have Dak Prescott, he gets that hurt. Rush <laughs> <laughs> right. And when you have the fan base going, wait, Dak's healthy. They're like. Hold on a second. Let's take, let's let the man, let's let Rush continue to play. I feel like that says all you need to know about how the fan base and possibly management feels about the long term uh, prospect of Dak Prescott, right? So, Trey Lance, I mean, it's a flyer on a, it's a, it's a pretty, I don't know, for a fourth round pick, pretty decent bet on a, on a, on a, a plan B if things with Dak go south. Now, what happened in, in San Fran? I I'm pretty sure the 49ers feel like they got Tom Brady'd here with Brock Purdy. The the guy went five and zero, and and then basically led them into the playoffs before getting hurt. And you know I think you've got to go with the guy that has shown you the most, right? And they have a pretty For solid sure. and a pretty solid backup now with Sam Darnold. Like a guy like again, Sam Darnold's not Patrick Mahomes. But he's serviceable. You know what you're getting with Sam Darnold, right? I just, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's just crazy that for a guy that had a brief little stint in Brock Purdy, that you're willing to just say, you know, we'll move on from Trey Lance. 
if this is next year, if Purdy has a good year and this is next year and they do that, great, fine. Cool, I get it. But I just think that given the current situation, I don't see why you're not holding on to Trey Lance just in case as insurance. I feel like just it's even a logic. For a year. I was thinking about that and I feel like it's a logic problem. So hear me out. If Brock Purdy gets hurt and Trey Lance is the backup, if Trey Lance is shit, then you're in a really bad position. If Brock Purdy gets hurt, then at least you know you have Sam Darnold, who you know what that's going to give you, right? Yeah, shit. Well, but or no, it's serviceable. I mean, he was fine in Carolina, and he actually played pretty well in in the limited action for for San Fran at the end of it. So, how was he for the Jets? I mean, he was seeing ghosts, but the Jets were <laughs> the Jets entirely were were pretty kife back then too. So. Brock Purdy has played more career games than Trey Lance. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's a more there. He actually has more of a sample size. Thank you. Than, than Trey right now. Like, I in fact, you know nothing about Trey Lance if you're the 49ers, well, really. Lance has played eight career games and Purdy's played nine. <laughs> so, but Purdy's been significantly better. Like, so to me, way. this is what I just I think. Again, young talent like that, sometimes they take a little bit. I just think an extra year of seeing what Lance would be like would have been a better thing to do. And then on the side for Dallas, I think this is indicative of how they feel about Dak Prescott and where they see the future of him because either A, from an injury standpoint or B, from a reliability standpoint. Because if they are if they get knocked out or don't make the playoffs, I'm telling you this right now, Prescott's gone. Like the if, 49ers, though, they're, they're in win-now mode. Like I don't think they can wait. For for Trey Lance to catch up, like CM, run CMC. This is probably his last real contribution year in the NFL. And then George Kittle's not getting any younger, right? So two big playmakers. Is George George Kittle still on that team, right? Yeah, he's hurt. He had like a weird equilibrium thing in his ear. I believe. Oh shit! Well, some of those guys aren't getting any younger, so uh, they're definitely in in a win now mode. So. I mean, the, I, listen, I think, well, where was Purdy taking? He was like taking the fifth, sixth round. I feel like they got a little Tom Brady fever in San Fran. They're like, this could be our Tom Brady. Almost sounds like Tom Brady too. Tom Brady, Brock Purdy, Tom Brady, yeah. Brock Purdy. Sounds similar, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just for such a high pick for no, I get it. very little based off injury that – you know, it's not even like a performance-based sitting for Trey Lance. It was injury, so I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. But to could me. you imagine? Could you imagine? Dak goes down and this man lights it up on fire. I mean, it yeah, feels like a good happen. spot. And we talked about that too, right? We we kind of posited that you know one of these guys might end up somewhere. Uh, and I think we actually identified Dallas as a landing spot because it felt like other places had pretty solid quarterback situations where you know Dallas was kind of the place that you know maybe a guy could sneak in and, and get some time so I feel like if you're, go to Baltimore <laughs> I mean that's another place maybe but I feel like I feel like Dallas is a good situation for Lance I feel like yeah. it, he's probably going to get the ability to to play you know well he will if Dak goes gets hurt but I think you know if if they're if they're if he's not performing up to par and it sucks because Dak gets paid a lot of money and 
you know. Yeah, he sure does. And if something does happen to Dak and Trey Lance is your starting quarterback for the rest of the year, this could be a very different looking Dallas Cowboys team a year from now with Ezekiel already out the door. Tony Pollard is on the last year of his deal as well. You CD have him is he just re up though, right? You have CD Lamb one more year after this year. That's not a lot of time, especially for a top flight wide receiver like that. He could demand being like, get me I mean, out of here. And what's what's have... Micah Parsons up for? Uh, please hold. Because <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking you might be onto something. What if there what if this is the foundation for the generation after Dak? Like Parsons has thinking? one Parsons has one year left after this year. And what about Diggs? Because that's on the defensive side. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so it's yeah, Parsons and Diggs are up. Like maybe this is them building from quarterback out in the future. Unless I'm blind, I don't see Diggs on this list at all. So see all oh, did maybe. he move? Did he already move? I, I mean I could be blind. But the point is the, yeah, there may be a lot more moves oh, to come. Still there. I'm just looking at so, his, looking for his contract. Well, yeah, yeah. maybe maybe that oh, is he it. He said he signed a five year extension. Trayvon okay. Diggs. Okay, well, who knows? Like you said, maybe this is the beginning of something. Uh, of you know, it's a hint at where they're going in the future. Right. And you can't really see where you're going in the future without acknowledging your past. And we're going to take a moment to do that here, where this past week we lost a couple people, uh, one of which being Terry Funk. And Terry had been dealing with some health issues, so it wasn't a huge surprise. He was a man in his, I think his late 70s or 79. early 80s. Physically, 79. like I'm surprised, man. That dude's gone through shit. And yeah, not to mention like he was a professional wrestler. So he uh, had a lot of bumps along the way. And especially near the end of his career where he did a lot of hardcore wrestling too. But, you know, we started this show briefly talking about AEW. And I don't think, if, if you really dial it back and you start thinking about it, like, would AEW exist if ECW didn't exist? No. Probably I'm not in terms of, like, if you ask, like, Tony Khan about, like, his favorite wrestling that he grew up with, he's a very big fan of ECW. And if you ask Paul Heyman, who was the booker and promoter of ECW, would it exist without Terry Funk? And the answer is absolutely no. No, I mean, he so, was in the first ever three-way dance for the ECW title, right? With uh, Shane Douglas and Sabu. And then he was also the headline of their first pay-per-view, Barely Legal, in 1997. Terry Funk was just a very different cat. And... When he was, I mean, also the first brother pairing with him and Dory Jr. to be world heavyweight champions. Like that had never been done before of two brothers holding the world title. That's just unheard of. Actually, come to think of it, I don't know if I can think of someone who's done it after that. Uh, I mean, unless you count Matt and Jeff Hardy, which I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'll think about that one. If there's been another brother combo that had both been world champions because Owen Hart never did it. Are you talking specifically in WWE? Just a recognized world championship where both brothers had held a rec the same recognized world championship. Yeah, I think Matt and Jeff might be the only one. But even then, like 
Jeff Impact. Hardy was WWE champion, but Matt Impact. Hardy was never WWE champion. Impact. No, I mean, oh, mm, mm, that one's kind of like splitting hairs of whether that's like considered a real world championship, right? You know what I mean? Like it is, but it isn't. It's wrestling's weird like that where there's so many of these right. belts thrown around. Anyways, incredible accomplishment. And I, I, we don't have time to go through the 50 something years of Terry Funk's career, but. Um, and James, I'll of course let you say uh, any piece that you have for Terry. But what I will say is that if you have the WWE Network, they've put together like a playlist of some of Terry Funk's matches. I think it's interesting to watch some of these. I think uh, at the very least, watch him and Flair from Clash of the Champions 9. And y- you'll get to see just how good he was. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people associate, at least from our generation, Terry Funk with the chairs and Foley, um, the explode, yeah, the forever, the exploding Japanese death matches, the uh, uh, dude, Chainsaw Charlie. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's what's crazy about uh, Terry Funk and like our generation, realistically. Like, we're all around the same age. We really would have only have ever seen Terry Funk as Chainsaw Charlie in 1998. Yeah. And then potential, well, and any sort of, if you were to ECW, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, for me, uh, Beyond the Mat, like, that was really, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that actually, so I'm glad you bring that up. That match is actually on the network, too. It is on the Terry Funk playlist. It's him and Bret Hart in Amarillo, Texas, in like the fall of '97. In some which barn, is right? So, it, yeah, it's it's some venue in Amarillo, and I imagine it may have been like the territory that him and his father ran. Um, I imagine that's probably the building they ran when they were running their territory. But what's so fascinating about that match? It's it's an indie show, right? It's an independent show in Amarillo, Texas, in the '90s, and it's Terry Funk. Versus the WWF World Champion Bret Hart, and you're Dude, you're watching they, this match. The Rock like, used to get booked at Border City as a WWF Intercontinental Champion, right? Like WWE used to lend their guys out to uh, yeah. to the Indies, but yeah, like Terry Funk, I was a pretty big focal point of just like I, I thought that was one of the sticking points from that documentary, and that was like really kind of the first peek behind the curtain that the masses got was that that film that kind of documentary but yeah i i mean people always remember the funk you shirts right um you know the the botchamania forever like i mean <laughs> i i just don't think people and, really understand how much came from that guy how how much the boys like pulled from terry funk like there's like he he inspired and gave a lot to the industry that he he probably doesn't get direct credit for with the fan base and also one of those guys that constantly reinvented themselves too yeah and was always on top of what would make a difference so big shout out to terry funk and there is so much in the world of professional wrestling today that is forever he, that you'll ever for will forever have his fingerprints on and there'll always be something that Branded. you can date back and yes and say you know what that was brand influence 
of Terry Funk. Branded, yes, absolutely. And then the next day, we hear about Bray Wyatt passing away at the age of 36 years old. Now, we had heard not much, honestly, about Bray Wyatt over the past little while. Like He had been on television, then off television, then on television, and off television. And it's it was hard to understand exactly what was happening because no one talked about it. And I mean, that's kind of how WWE does things sometimes where they they kind of drop stuff out of nowhere and they'll repackage you and bring you back and whatever. So I think for most people, no one was expecting to hear this, that Bray Wyatt passed away and uh, he had a heart attack and that was it. And it's, you know, it um, it makes you think sometimes, right? Like, man, the guy was 36 years old, had four kids. Like, it's just, and then boom, it's over. Um, when you think back about Bray Wyatt, I, I think of someone who was always, and it's similar to Terry Funk in the sense of like always reinventing himself and always pushing things forward. And if you look at his body of work from getting Delta raw, like a shit hand with the, with that Nexus thing, it was stupid. And they called him Husky Harris. And like he did the best he could with that until they realized, okay, we probably shouldn't be, you know, wasting this talent and then threw him back down to developmental. And that's when the Wyatt family started. And when the Wyatt family started, that's all everyone talked about, man. Like back when it was the original crew in NXT, everyone loved the Wyatt family. Everyone could see like Yo, there's something here. Real talk. You know? Who was the original Wyatt family? Man, when I think of it, I think of it's him and uh, Brody and... Aren't they all pro- dead? Well, well Brody had also passed away as well, yeah. And then I, I, I don't think... Eric was one of the original ones, was he? Who am Eli I missing? Con- Eli Conwood, sir. Okay. You don't remember that? I, I I do now that you say it, but like, yeah, I don't even remember what happened to the guy after the fact, actually. Not much. Uh, <laughs> right. So. But yeah, I yeah, dude, so you I, had the. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say like so you had the Wyatt family, and that's what everyone everyone was talking about at the time was how cool the Wyatt family was, and when they came up to the main roster, they were. They were main event guys, like immediately, right? And a lot of that credit does go to the whole package of it, right? Like the music was incredible and the the entrance and like the whole presentation of that wide family was just so, so cool. And and yeah, the promos and the style, they the way he would talk and the way he would say so much and nothing at the same time. Like you always felt like you wanted to know what was going to happen next, even though it almost felt like sometimes like the writers had no fucking clue what he was saying or um, it was very Jim Jones, <laughs> you know, like it was very like the the whole thing was like the cult leader, right? Like he, right. You know, you're right. It was, uh, it was, it was so different at the time. It was intriguing. It was fascinating. It was, it was, you wanted to know what was going to happen. And then, the fun house. And I remember showing non-wrestling fans the fun house. And I think that's a true testament of how good something can be is if you take a wrestling segment and show it to a non-wrestling fan, just to see what their reaction is. And that's what I did a number of times with the Firefly Funhouse because it's so fucking out there. And from week to week, there would be like 
one nugget of something that would happen and it would make you think of like what is going on and you'd want to know what is going on and from my understanding a lot of that was the brainchild of Bray Wyatt that wasn't like the writer saying oh hey we have this idea for you a lot of this stuff came right from the man the mind of that man and then from there I mean WWE world champion and then from there he won the universal title a pair of times and were you there for SummerSlam 2019 for the debut of the Fiend. Nah, I didn't I didn't go to SummerSlam. I went to NXT though. Let me tell you. The debut of the Fiend at SummerSlam in Toronto was one of the coolest things ever cuz like they had hyped that up for so long of the Fiend is coming and the Fiend like we didn't know what it was. And again, like the whole presentation of the the new the mask he was wearing and the, the new gear the- and the the lantern of the severed fucking severed fucking head, man. Like just this guy was on another level, man. Just he was thinking outside the box when everyone else wasn't. And I think that's probably what we'll remember most about Bray Wyatt of being like just a different kind of cat. And he Dude, and then White he rabbit. saw things in I forgot about the White Rabbit thing, yeah. Another and Jefferson thing, Starship. Just, Right? Yeah, like, like just, just just countless things that he did that was just different, you know? Yeah. I mean a lot of a lot of the work I did um was inspired by a lot of the work he did or he created. Um you know, from vignettes that I filmed with Scotty O'Shea or you know, the transformation of, of Courtney Rush into Rosemary, you could probably go back and look at some of those things and see a lot of that influence in it, uh, I would think. Um, I don't know. I don't know if if it's apparent, but I feel it's there as, as the one who, like, wrote and directed them. Like, I think I was you know, creatively sparked by watching somebody take those opportunities and say, Hey, we can do this and we can do it in a way that's appealing and entertaining and, and, and feels like it fits. Do you know what I mean? And I think that was the coolest thing is in a world where you knew the undertaker was probably leaving to, to catch that lightning in a bottle twice would be very difficult, but I feel like they, they were on the brink of it. I mean, they, they fucked it up a few times, right? Like they, they crashed that car a few times. I mean, I would say they probably ended the, the cult leader Bray Wyatt too early. I would say that they also probably cut him loose at the wrong time. And I feel like they didn't have enough talented people in the room to know what to do with that from a, you know, the the one commentary you would always hear is it's difficult to to book something like that because then where do you go next, right? Um, and I feel like if you let it breathe and you were creative enough, enough you could find where to go next. Um, from all, I've never met the man, but for all intents and purposes and anything you heard from people, solid dude, solid solid dude. Um, he said father of what four kids. Um. 36 years old man i'm 38 so that's you know apparently he had a heart condition and covid exacerbated it fuck yeah it's un- it's unfortunate but hell of a hell of a creative dude th- if you think about your favorite bray dude 
Daniel Bryan and the Wyatt family moments. Those were fucking awesome. Um, Randy Orton being a Wyatt family member. Yeah, they won the tag titles at one point together. And it didn't now, feel out of place. Of the, <laughs> no. One of the things I always will remember was that, like, not really a match, but the match that he had with John Cena at that WrestleMania where they oh, had the like NWO John Cena, the NWO John Cena, and you had that like puppet Vince McMahon saying it's good shit, it's like, <laughs> right? Which is, uh, which is exactly how you would expect Vince McMahon to react to some of these things. So, you know, and and so many things went through that too. Like Braun Strowman came that way. Um, you know the 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 stuff he did with Alexa Bliss. You know, there's there's so much. You know, you talk. There's so much that that man was able to fashion, mold, accomplish with other people. Like he brought people with him and gave people opportunities to be. Man, remember when they fucking tried to make Rowan and Brody the Bludgeon Brothers? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. They like, had big hammers. Yeah, they'll, they'll give them cloaks and hammers. It'll work. Um. So yeah, sad. And you could tell just by the way people had the response on SmackDown. And I thought SmackDown was a very classy uh, tribute to him. The the fans singing He's Got the Whole World was very haunting and, and chilling, um, but a, a nice tribute. And I thought uh, of all the people that paid tribute that night, I actually really thought LA Knight's way of doing it was really cool, where he even like told The Miz to run at the end of his promo i thought that was awesome um considering he was bray's last match so yeah really cool well of course shout out to terry funk and shout out to bray wyatt and it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week It is time for a group of segment of the week because it is a segment where we get to hear Maven's entrance music from his incredibly long run in the WWF. I'll go first. Wait, uh, wait, time out. With- time out. Okay. Before you go first, I want to. <laughs> I saw a Maven uh, update. So Maven was interviewed recently, and he said that his downfall. <laughs> you'll appreciate this his downfall in professional wrestling was that he never took time before the shows uh when the ring was set up to get in there and own his craft he said he was more concerned about you know get going over his match you know being like okay cool and then get in the gym and looking good and that he had you know uh guys like i i forget who he referenced but it was like tom pritchard and guys like in the ring giving guys pointers and working craft and he just basically ignored it <laughs> he said that was his his professional wrestling career downfall, and I'm like, yeah, no shit. You didn't get any better than a drop kick, so that's <laughs> that's why you didn't make it, pal. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I could see that, and I always wonder about stuff like that. Like, when you have that at your disposal, like, why wouldn't you use it? It's like, man, they they bring and, and AW is bad with that too, right? Where there's so many producers there who are there and are paid to help you like Jerry Lynn and Dean Malenko and and you'll have like you know Adam, Adam Page. Page say nah I don't, I don't want any advice 
But actually, along those lines, my shout out goes to one Tony Khan because listen, here's a motherfucker who's just a rich motherfucker and he doesn't need to do any of this. But he's just a big wrestling fan. And because he's such a big wrestling fan, he has a lot of money. He just like throws money away to do like really cool. Res- he's like, just playing with action figures. Like that's what he's doing. He is. Right. Yeah. And like so much so that like he does a bunch of little things that you know Vince McMahon would say, no, fuck it. Like why would we spend money on that? Because he has, like I think Vince is more oriented of like what will make me money. Whereas Tony, I feel like is more oriented of what would make a pop. And an example of that is Sting and Darby Allen coming to the ring with Metallica Seek and Destroy. It's like, you know, Tony probably paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to use Seek and Destroy for one night, but he did it just because Sting Dude, used to do it in WCW. Paid, apparently, the rights to use Europe's final countdown is atrocious. And he yeah. paid it for Brian Danielson. And didn't even tell Danielson he was going to do it. Yeah. And just wanted to surprise Danielson before he went out. So that's what yeah. I'm saying, man. Like he's just and you know, Paige came to the ring with some stupid song, "We Will Rock You" for whatever reason. And then, like, it's not even for like a good reason. Sometimes, like, it's like it's some stupid song. It doesn't even work for her. But she wanted it, and he's like, "Yeah, absolutely. Sure, this not? means something to you. Like, let's do it." When fucking Roderick Strong came in, I love Roddy. I have a T-shirt somewhere that says Messiah the Backbreaker. Okay, I love Roddy, but there's no reason that you should be spending money on Kill Switch Engage music for him. Like, just get the guy that you have on staff to write some BMG one for him. You know? Yeah. Anyways, my shout goes to Tony Khan because he spends money for no reason other than for all our enjoyment. So, thank you, Tony. Maddie, you up? Um, sorry, I just got lost. Um. Shows just to all the artists at Fan Expo because it takes a lot to create something and put yourself out there like that with that many people coming across you. And, you know, I saw a lot of stupid shit on like Instagram where people are like the best art in uh, Artist Alley at Fan Expo and the worst. And I'm like, you don't have to do that to people, man. Like everyone's just trying to put themselves out there like that and create something that they think people will like that they're interested in as well. So shout out to those people to, you know, be able to do that, create something you know, in in a world that everyone feels like it's okay to judge and put, you know, negativity out online like that, it's it's cool that those people say, you know what, I'm still gonna do it. So that's mine. That is good. Mine's actually kind of an extension of yours. Um I ran into a an old friend, not that old. I mean he'd probably get mad if I called him old, uh, at Fan Expo. Uh, my shout out's to one Anthony Kingdom James for um for those of you who don't no, he's know, old. <laughs> he probably tell you. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Kingdom James uh, is a professional wrestling manager, professional wrestler himself, and also a comic book creator uh, of titles like Heroes of Homeroom C, um, which you know I read the first couple issues he wrote, and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, the guy's really, really talented. You know, when you when you think about dudes who. I I don't think I would be incorrect in saying I would put him on the mic against a lot of people in this business who have jobs or positions way higher than his. Um, he's a fantastic guy on the on the mic. He's got a great mind for that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, you know what? what what's more important? And he's a really really good fucking dude. 
um, you know, someone who, you know, is is will be loyal to you till the the bitter end uh, if you're if you're good shit to him, uh, and he'll be good shit back. So it was nice to see him at Fan Expo uh, and get a, a hug and a kiss on the cheek from Kingdom James, which I always enjoy. Um, I always enjoy exchanging I love yous with Kingdom James. So my shout out is to one Anthony Kingdom James. Love you, brother. I really want I really want someone to book me and Kingdom on commentary together. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Because yeah, I was right. I wanted to do it too. We had that thing in Smash where <laughs> you would just rip me and hate me for everything, and I loved it because it was just always so much fun. How how do you think that would go? What me and Kingdom on commentary? I think Kingdom would be very. I think he would be very Heenan esque. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I would. I would be the straight play by play guy, and he would be the Bobby Heenan. Right. And I've thought about it of like if I were to run a wrestling show, like what would I want to do? And one of the things was like I would like to, and not even like, and I guess now that I'm saying it, it would come out that way. But <laughs> I would like I would not even sell it this way, but I would book an entire card of all people of color. And it's like not even sell it like that, but it's like here's a wrestling show, but like it's just gonna happen to have all people of color on the entire card, and just see how that show goes, right? And yeah, so it'd be me and Kingdom on commentary. The thing is, is I would, and that that sounds incredible to do a, a you and Kingdom on commentary. Don't take this the wrong way. I'd be hard pressed to figure out what the best use of Kingdom is on a show. Oh yeah, totally. He's so Cause, so good at all of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah. Well, Shout out to all of them and shout out to all of you for listening to another episode of 43.6, which of course was brought to you by Now Your Treasures. We'll see you next week. But for all that, what I need from all of you is to help control the pet population and have your pets spayed or neutered.